We have to go back! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are talking all about the 1986 classic uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Just doesn't want to go to school. Yeah. On a day like today. On a day like today. Uh, But before we get into the review, we have a couple of exciting announcements because of the lovely patrons over on patreon.com forward slash stewdippin. The Flashback Flicks podcast can now be found on SoundCloud. So welcome, SoundCloud listeners. If you're listening to us on SoundCloud, uh, you have the lovely patrons over on the Stewdippin Patreon page to thank for this. So... Hello, and we've been getting some more reviews and uh, comments on Twitter, so just want to say thanks. Thanks for talking with us, and with us being on SoundCloud now, we'll have a whole nother way to interact, so we're excited to see all of your interaction there. So again, thanks. All right, let me see. Okay, try counting after me again. Excuse me. One, two. One, two. Okay, we're, we're better. Okay. Okay. So, like we said, so like we said, we are reviewing Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the movie originally released on June eleventh, nineteen eighty six. At the time of this recording, is June tenth, so it is about to be the thirty year anniversary of this film's release. Wow, that just flew by. Yeah, thirty years just flew straight on by. I mean, I wasn't even alive for two of them, but. You know, <laughs> it's been a pretty quick life. Yeah. Like, at this point in time, Ferris would be, like, in his 40s, right? Yeah. If he's a senior in high school, he'd be, like, 47 years old. Wonder what, wonder what he'd be doing now. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So, this movie, um, like we said, originally came out in 1986, and just... On the off chance that uh, you skipped school or movie school, skipped movie school, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, here is a brief description of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Ferris Bueller, played by Matthew Broderick, has an uncanny skill at cutting class and getting away with it. Intending to make one last duck out before graduation, Ferris calls in sick, borrows a Ferrari, and embarks on a one-day journey through the streets of Chicago. On Ferris's trail, his high school principal, Rooney, is determined to catch him in the act. It's directed by Sir John Hughes and just is one of the like quintessential 80s movies um, of its time. It was written basically in a week, in like less than a week. <laughs> like John Hughes wrote and directed this movie and the screenplay was basically done within less than a week on a budget of $5.8 million over the course of three months in 1985, which translates to John Hughes was not human. <laughs> No, because there's a similar story to that's how they produced The Breakfast Club as well. Like a, a yeah. very similar events that it was like really tight budget, super short writing process. The stories are even very similar about like a rebel fighting against the the vice principal uh, in a Chicago high school. But yeah, John Hughes was superhuman. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and this movie 
it wouldn't be a John Hughes film unless it featured Chicago at some point in time. Uh, right. But this movie was his huge love letter to the city of Chicago. Like all of the different places where they went uh, was places that he wanted to capture that really captured not just the architecture and landscape of Chicago, but also the spirit. And um, I think he captured that really well. I mean, after yeah. this, like, I feel like the uh, visit, the visit Chicago Bureau of Visitation, I'm assuming that's what it's called. They just play Ferris Bueller's Day <laughs> Off and say, come see Chicago and see these things. Yeah, because even if they don't make it to places in Chicago that uh, represent the city, they include people that do. So when I think of Chicago, I think of the strong improv scene that they have there and they have a great comedy tradition we never yeah. see a comedy club in chicago but one of the founders of uh the truth and comedy uh method and the the man who really solidified and created the herald format uh del close makes an appearance in the film um no way as yeah he's the english teacher talking about the prison and the irony of the prison uh. Um, so things like that that are peppered in throughout really do make it that love letter. Yeah, and the movie was received uh, wildly well. Uh, overall, it made over $70 million, uh, and it has been released to uh, VHS and Laserdisc. Oh, as yeah. As well as DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, so you know it was a quality film when they said, you know what? Let's let's immortalize this film on Laserdisc. Let's make sure that a generation doesn't miss out on Ferris Bueller. At what point in the movie do you think you have to flip over the Laserdisc? <laughs> My guess would be I, it's around the time that they're waiting for the car to come back. I think they're standing there, and then you have to turn it over, and then Sloan says, well, that was fast. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yeah, that I I hope so. For anyone who owns the laser disc, let us know when it yeah. stops. Yeah, um, there are some abrupt but... laser disc stops in movies throughout history. <laughs> Probably the most abrupt, Heavyweights with Ben Stiller. It's basically midline that they stop and you have to turn the disc <laughs> over. Oh, that's hilarious. So, um, interestingly enough. Uh, we see Ferris Bueller and we think Matthew Broderick and um, he was actually largely considered for this role because of his role in war games. But um, other people who considered for the role was Johnny Depp, Robert Downey Jr., Jim Carrey, Rob Lowe, Tom Cruise, and John Cusack. Oh, that those all make sense to me. I would have loved to see Robert Downey Jr. as Ferris Bueller. I, I, could you just imagine like what that would have done for his career like how like what was that oh man that's like so interesting just to, like to think how that would have affected the trajectory of where some of these different people went tony stark's day off <laughs> uh yes oh uh, quick question when was the last time you saw this movie last time i saw this movie was in college um it was for a during film. finals uh, during finals week you're like, yeah oh man this guy has a right it was during that one time that I almost slept through my tests and you woke me up. Yeah. <laughs> True story. Um, but no, it was for a film class. I saw it for a film class. I didn't see it for the first time until senior year of high school. I didn't see it until I was the exact age of Ferris Bueller. Oh, really? Which was late. 
compared to most of my classmates. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I I remember seeing the movie in its entirety, but it felt like I was watching it for the first time because I remember certain beats and certain scenes. I remember the classic chase scene because I've seen that be parodied uh, tons of times. Mm-hmm. But I I want to say like the first time I saw it was maybe around college as well. But I think it's interesting to watch this movie like from the mindset of like being in school. Because, like, as soon as I got done watching, I'm like, man, I wish I would have, like, skipped school. Like, <laughs> just like this. Like, even in high school, when I had permission to, like, skip school, we had senior skip day. Hmm. Uh, I stayed at school to edit a video project because that's the kind of kid I was. I was like, oh, I get to have the computer lab all to myself. Click, 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 click. This is how I like to live my life. <laughs> But, like, I mean, this movie just really made me want to, like, call in sick. Like, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder if I can convince my wife to call in sick one of these days. Unless, of course, her employers uh, listen to this podcast, in which case I would never do that. I just, it's not <laughs> in my character. Why? No, it's it's completely out of my character alignment to do something like that. What? Crazy. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and get into um, the uh, reactions to the film. So watching it now, uh, what did you think of the movie? There's definitely a lot of nostalgia that's uh, cooked into it for me. Um, it It's very 80s, but it doesn't feel like dated 80s. Um, it It's nested in this little bubble, basically, of and falls nicely into that same uh, like zone of the breakfast club where they can exist uh, as true characters that, like, ring... Uh, I said true twice in a sentence, and I feel like an idiot. Whatever. But uh, <laughs> that that ring true. Um, but, yeah, my, my, I thought it was more fun than I remember it. And I, I, I knew it was a fun movie. I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be... Um, this is going to be cool to watch again. Um, I got so much more out of it this time. Seeing it, you know, 30 years and seeing the progression of some of these careers is really interesting, um, kind of like where they've gone, where they haven't gone, like people who you would think would be like major superstars uh, that just kind of like this was their this was their big movie. And then they kind of fade away. Like, it's really interesting to see the difference between the two. And I always love me some Ben Stein. I yeah. used to watch a ton of the show Win Ben Stein's Money. Um, yes. I think he's just a super interesting guy. Um, yeah, so, well, he yeah, because yeah, this was his kind of bigger break movie. Like he improvised pretty much because all of his stuff was supposed to be done off screen, mm-hmm. but people were cracking up so much that he they like featured him in the scene. And after doing the classroom attendance, he improvised every like his whole lesson plan. They just told him, hey, what do you know the most about? And he just started talking about, um, what was it, like uh, tax laws or something like that? Well, yeah, because he was a speechwriter for Nixon and Ford. And so he he grew up, like his early career was all in politics. uh, So he was able just to speak super knowledgeably about it uh, and go off. Anyone? Anyone? It's such a good beat. The classroom attendance thing, I I just loved, because uh, I think that's one of the things that I remembered the least. Actually, I knew that the Bueller Bueller thing was 
a thing from the movie. But I was, I don't know why that I was fixated on this, but I'm just like, wait a second. So you went from Anderson to Bueller. Like, you don't have any, like, um, anyone else, like, be, like, just in the roll call. That's just, like, Mm -hmm. such a jump to me. Well, it goes Anderson all the way down, a ton of A names to Bueller. Says Bueller jumps to Fry. (laughs) Yeah, right? I was like, I don't know why, but that's really interesting to me. Just like, I don't know. It, it's a dub thing, but I'm just like, that seems just like, really? Like, there are no, like, Barrymore's or Broderick's just straight to the BU and then immediately off to someone else. Yeah, this is not a well-distributed class as far as alphabetical naming scheme goes. <laughs> Also, these students are like the most tired students I've ever seen. I was wondering what the makeup process was, or if they just told them, hey, stay awake for two days before shooting. (laughs) They're all method extras. Yeah. (laughs) They gave them the same notes that Charlie Sheen had. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, like when I watched this movie, it was so much more fun to me uh, Mm -hmm. than I remember. I remember these, I think I just remember these isolated scenes but not like the whole story i remember the last half of the movie more than the first half um and it was just a ton of fun like i remember laughing out loud at the whole um how ferris bueller is just drawing a naked woman in paint Uh, yeah like just like pixel by pixel i just thought that was hilarious um and then when Matthew Broderick is standing in the trench coat in the top hat waiting for um, his girlfriend, who I swore was the same love interest from Truman Show. Oh, no. But it's not. Um, yeah. But anyway, when he was standing there, I said, and that's how he got cast for Inspector Gadget. He looks exa- <laughs> it's the exact same costuming and everything. It's just like... They, they were watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off in the pitch meeting for Inspector Gadget. They said, him. Hmm. I want him. Give it some time. Yeah. But yeah, overall, it was just, it was so much fun. And like the cat and mouse game that they were playing with Rooney, which fun fact, the band Rooney is named after Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That is a fun fact. Yeah, the uh, the band was originally called Ed Rooney. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that, oh, I just loved that chase and his just determination to, like, get Ferris and catch him in his act. I just, it was so much fun to watch. And there was actual tension. Like, I feel like the cool thing about this movie is, you know, we, we're used to a lot of technology nowadays and how, like, oh, a cell phone would have just solved all of this Mm -hmm. but like i like how ahead of everything ferris is and how like you're rooting for him to not get caught like if his dad is there even though like i knew how everything was going to happen but like there's tension when he's like physically in the presence of these other people or when other people get really close to like calling his bluff and how like he just thinks ahead it's like it's 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 fun. You you. It's a really fun journey, and I think John Hughes does an amazing job at like creating that tension 
uh, while also having like like progress forward. Yeah, it's interesting because it's the uh, the idea that you're actually rooting for the antihero or the bad guy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. from from an outside perspective, like he's a kid that should be in school. Like everyone else is going to school. What makes him special? Get that kid in school. He's a scofflaw. That's your word for the day. He's a scofflaw. <laughs> and Rooney is trying to do his job by keeping kids in school. Um, but it, it's similar to like Pirates of the Caribbean where you're rooting for the pirate, the guy that's like outside of uh, the law, basically. Um, yeah. Again, scofflaw. Uh, <laughs> but because of the, the way that they go about it, you're you're on board with them. You're like, yeah, he makes some good points. I'll go with this journey. And then on the flip side, the authority figure goes about it in a really disrespectful and vile way. So you're like, yeah, they deserve a comeuppance, even though technically they're just doing their job. Although yeah. breaking into the house of a student <laughs> is way beyond your purview yep. as a vice principal. Yeah. Like, oh, that principal, his expressions were just so perfect. Like, anytime it zoomed in, his eyes just, like, grew. And <laughs> when he thought he was on the phone with the actual father, oh, <laughs> man, I just, it was just so much fun. Like, his panic uh, is just so dead on. And it just, I, I, it was just joy to watch uh, him, his performance in particular. Uh, but, yeah, it was great yeah jeffrey jones is uh, pretty amazing so after the success of ferris bueller the movie um there was a short-lived tv series called ferris bueller aired on nbc starring jennifer aniston as ferris bueller's sister now i can't even begin to tell you like this the tv show was supposed to be a prequel basically it's supposed to be a prequel to the show because this guy was supposed to be the real Ferris Bueller. And the first episode's like, hey, I'm Ferris Bueller. You might see the movie, but like Matthew Broderick as me, that's pathetic. He's too vanilla. And then he takes out a chainsaw and chops off a, cut, a cardboard cutout of Matthew Broderick. And then you're supposed to be following the real Ferris Bueller. It only lasted for a season uh, before it was canceled, but it's something that is on the internet that you can watch in its entirety on YouTube, but it is, it's, it's, it's interesting to say the least. That's the most hideous premise I've ever heard. (laughs) And I have watched all of Tommy Wiseau's The Neighbors. What what a way of biting the hand that feeds you. Right? Like, you, you know that intellectual property that we're ripping off? I'm going to cut it up on camera. Oh, man. That guy's a phony. Who played Ferris Bueller? Yeah, so Charlie Slater uh, played Ferris Bueller. Oh, well, why didn't you say that up front? <laughs> yeah, Charlie Slater, you might know him from Diagnosis Murder. Yeah, he's he's most famous for Diagnosis Murder, but he also starred as Ferris Bueller, and you just you really just have to see it because just watching the first ten minutes is just like oh, all right, <laughs> let's let's just see how this thing unfolded. 
And for uh, those of you who play the uh, the Lego uh, DC games, he was Robin in Lego Batman Three. He was also the Flash in Lego Dimensions. So hmm. you've heard him, and you didn't even realize it. And we've devoted way too much time to the fake Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Yeah, so there's actually another series that came on around the same time called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I've heard of uh, that. It was on, yeah, it was on Fox, and it lasted for way more seasons than this one. It also had like similar, similarly like low ratings, but it was like a spiritual successor to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Parker Lewis is a teenager who apparently can't lose. He's cool, cute, popular, hip, and seems to get away with anything. That's not to say he doesn't have any problems. His nemesis is a high school principal, Grace Musso, whose sole purpose in life seems to be getting Parker expelled. Then he has a sister. Then he has a best friend. And it was on Fox, so it succeeded. So it didn't get canceled after one season. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fox does that, too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But NBC kind of really got it down to a science. Ironsides this fall on NBC. And only this fall. <laughs> we right, didn't promise you the spring. We kept our promise. We told you it's fall. <laughs> so Ferris Bueller was wildly popular, but um just like John Lasseter says, any movie that you see at one point in time was uh, the worst movie ever made. And an early screening of Ferris Bueller was disastrous. The whole cast actually watched the uh, initial cut of the movie a few months before it was scheduled to premiere, and no one laughed once. Ooh. And, <laughs> and that, oh man, like I just, that's just the worst experience that I feel like you could have. It's yeah. like not laughing once. I'm just picturing like Shia LaBeouf when he watched his own movies, <laughs> which is an amazing experiment that he did. Oh, I love that's one of my favorite experiments. Just watching him just like stare at a screen, just pensively just looking. But but for him, like there's a certain level of finality, like it's already out. There's nothing he can do about it. Can you imagine sitting there and be like, this is going to be released and I'm not laughing. It'd be a horrible experience. Yeah. After that, Hughes and his editor, Paul uh, Hirsch, uh, spent two weeks cutting and pasting the movie into the one that we know and love today. So thanks, Paul. Thanks, Hughes. It, uh, Paul, Paul's on a first name basis. John Hughes <laughs> on a last name basis. It's Hughes and yeah. Hirsch. Paul and John. Uh, yeah. So... Now is the time to uh, transition into our favorite segment of this podcast called Headcanon, where oh, yeah. where we share our unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the movie. Now, my headcanon, it's an unpopular one, really. <laughs> it's one that, uh, that like not many people have talked about. Go on. Uh, it's that... Ed Rooney and Ferris Bueller are the same person. <laughs> Ed Rooney and Ferris Bueller. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's just Ed Rooney's descent into madness. I see. And he's like, there's this guy here. Now, I had I had read before the idea that um, Cameron and Ferris are actually the same person. 
Uh, yeah, there's there's some pretty interesting articles about it. We're not going to claim them as our own ideas. Uh, for the first half of the movie, that's how I was watching it, anticipating that we would be doing headcanon. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, yeah, just gonna I'm gonna build a case for that. Basically, um, there's a lot of connections between their interaction and the way that fight club plays out, including the way that like Ferris talks directly to the camera, um, the difference in style between like the somewhat messy house compared to the immaculate sharper image esque home of, uh, of Cameron. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that we only see like one set of parents and part of the character development seems almost incomplete on Cameron's part because of that, uh, because we're so invested in Ferris and um, just the back and forth. And they're so, they help each other so much that it does seem like that fight club dynamic, but, but I have an alternate head cannon to offer up. Ooh, due to certain inconsistencies that I could not reconcile within the Fight Club theory. Do tell. The Fight Club theory explains the dual personalities of Ferris Bueller and Cameron Fry. However, it does not explain like the school getting behind him and Rooney going to the extremes that he's going to. Um, I mean, we do have followers of in the school that are similar to the followers in Fight Club, but my personal headcanon is that uh, Ferris Bueller is a high school student who is currently in a coma, and he's in a coma for the entire movie. Oh uh, my goodness! He's he's actually been in the coma for about nine days now, um, representing the nine days that he's missed of school, uh, which is explains partially why uh, Cameron also wears the number nine on his jersey. Yeah, that that Howe jersey. That was Howe's number um, when he was on that team. But um, like that's just the connection there. It's like, I missed nine days. Cameron's always wearing the number nine. Um, He's wearing the nine Howe jersey. That's how many days he's missed. (laughs) Go straight to the top. Exactly. Um, So... They're actually manifestations similar to Fight Club. They're manifestations of the same person, but they actually mean different things. So I think um, Ferris, Cameron, and Sloan have a very um, important connection because Ferris is the present. He lives in the present. He does everything just spur of the moment. It seems like he's improvising. Um, Cameron is very concerned with the, the past. Like he, he refers to growing up in the house that was super sterile, um, his parents were very unloving, um, and he's had a really difficult upbringing and is kind of stuck in that development stage. And then Sloan represents the future. Um, it's the unknown, and mm. uh, it's the idea of, like, Ferris wants to propose to her. He wants to get married because he's unsure of his future, and he wants to, he wants to make sure that Sloan doesn't slip away. Um, the fact that they're like different ages and he wants to make sure that he's not forgotten because at any given point, the present becomes the past and Ferris mm. is afraid that he will become Sloane's past because she is his future. Um, and so those are the three representations of Ferris Bueller in the state that he's in. 
the reason that all of the save Ferris signs continue to escalate is because those are actually the well wishes that are being brought into the hospital room where Ferris is in his coma um, and they continue to grow. Also why we see the inappropriate uh, nurse come to the door. Um, (laughs) Just another one of the icons, like it is an actual nurse that's in the room, but through a high schooler's perception, um, it is like over-sexualized. And then uh, as far as Rooney, Rooney is the, uh, the disease or whatever is keeping him from waking up essentially. Um, Whereas you have uh, these different factors that are that are doing so, but they're like different parts of the body that are kind of working. I should say different parts of the psyche that are working through um, Ferris's condition. Even uh, even when they're in the the police department uh, and uh, Charlie Sheen is there, there's a lot of reference to like, "What are you a psychiatrist?" Um, and they're kind of working through mental mm. issues. Cameron accuses uh, Ferris of being uh, uh, crazy and psychotic several times throughout the movie. And so there's definitely something uh, in the brain that is happening. Uh, And one of the biggest elements uh, that caught my eye on this and got me starting to watch the movie this way was the car. Uh, The license plate on the car is nervous. Uh, Like, why would a guy who put so much time and effort into his car have a vanity plate that says nervous on it um and so the car really represents that nervous system and it's not until they're able to crash it uh that they're able to actually restart and start to have some of that healing process um yeah and so the end of the movie is ferris bueller getting back into bed and it cuts out just before we see it but i believe that a few frames later, Ferris, after this long ordeal, closes his eyes in the coma and wakes up in real life. Wow. That's, that's solid. That's some solid headcanon right there. Thanks. There's, I was trying to figure out if there's any reference to what caused him to be in the coma, um, whether it's like some kind of tumor or... Because I thought maybe the car was a tumor at one point. Um mm from a very dark angle that I don't want us to talk about for too long, there's a lot of reference to the father possibly being violent um, and there being dark overtones over that. So obviously Cameron's father is not a nice person. Uh, we are, They make that very clear. But uh, even Ferris's dad, who seems to be like really nice and happy, the, if you watch him on his drive home, it almost seems like he's inebriated. Um, like the way that he's kind of going back and forth, he sees the when the cop passes, he leans over to the glove compartment and gets some Tic Tacs out, gets some like breath freshener, um, almost like if he's going to get pulled over, he doesn't want something to be on his breath. Um, oh. Like he's been drinking. Um, and uh, like, well, even at the, at the dinner too, or at the lunch, whenever they run into him, um, he is uh, like visibly angry. He definitely shows a temper with his business partners that he's talking to. Um, and I think the staging of that scene is really interesting because it's Cameron who completely has his back to the dad. It's not Ferris. Fer- Ferris is facing him full on, 
but it's Cameron who has that fear of the father figure who is completely hidden from the dad's view. Um, and so this idea that something, that some violence with the dad could have possibly facilitated this state. Um, there's also the, the weird icon of the guns going back and forth. Like the dad's always mm-hmm. kind of like making the shooting noise and Ferris makes the shooting noise back. Like that could just be an innocent dad thing, but it, I did see that pattern of like fathers and violence that, uh, was carried out throughout the movie man that's impressive and you thought this movie was a comedy (laughs) you thought wrong america no that's that's super interesting that's way solid because like when i was thinking about that theory uh, my justification was that um Rooney found out like the reason why Rooney was trying to find this kid who only had nine absences and who kept on having it um, be like deleted was that it was all Cameron kind of in his subconscious or subconscious as Ferris and then him going into the house never finding him mm-hmm. until the end I just think that like for me the whole thing was like oh that was just Cameron because Cameron already could disguise his voice really right. well yeah um and he um dressed up a lot like he i think he had the most wardrobe changes throughout the movie um but yours is way more interesting my headcanon um was that ferris is actually a detective (laughs) like he's like sherlock um yeah and that this is his day off from being a detective um, like a high school detective because uh you know Sherlock has his network um and Ferris has his network of like freshmen that he just like uses to like a- a- establish a credibility of his story so that he can kind of just let people think what he wants them to think about him yeah and that he just knows like he's he's socially very intelligent he just knows what to do to get what he wants and to get information from people like the whole restaurant scene was great he's like there you can never go too far like if and if i am gonna get caught i'm gonna get caught by this guy and so he calls the police uh he fakes the call to the police and then he fakes being this other guy who no one has ever really seen but um and then he can like hack into things and i just i just I would like to think that, like, when he goes back to school, like, he takes on these different cases. He's like, yeah, he's going to get me out of summer school. And he just, <laughs> like, goes into the principal's office and is like, listen, so I can tell um, just by the cuff of your pants that you're having an affair. So you need to let this guy out, like, kind of thing. I just imagine, like, him doing something like that. Yeah. It's like Sherlock meets 21 Jump Street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. I like that. I like that. <laughs> What's your address? 21 Jump Street. Dun, 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 dun. I also thought it was interesting uh, that there are characters that hum or sing Don Quixote under their breath that have no connection to each other throughout the movie. Like, they weren't in the same place when they heard the song, but they keep singing it uh, just sporadically at, at points of happiness. Um, 
I don't know. Maybe that goes back to the whole coma thing. <laughs> that Ferris has like one song stuck in his head in a, in a coma. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like a nice little th- overall overarching theme. Yeah. This is a random thing that I, a connection I made. So Matthew Broderick has had a great career. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not necessarily a headcanon as much as it is just a connection I made. But he also voiced adult Simba. Oh, yeah. And Simba runs away from home and has a couple of days off himself. Simba's day off. Wow, the Pride Lands really fell apart in one day. Oh, uh, there was one other thing on the on the father issue I wanted to touch on uh, that I don't know if this was a conscious choice, but it's something I noticed that Cameron, there's one shot when they're in the garage where it really looks like around the temples, um, he has like very gray hair, um, mm. which that happens uh, to to younger people if they experience traumatic events. Um, mm. You like you see it in the Sixth Sense where Haley Joel Osment's character has just a lock of yeah. gray hair. Um, like Cameron has a similar thing around the temple. Now it could be Alan Ruck does have gray hair there. Um, and it could have just been the lighting because he was pretty young when this was made. But oh, well, um, he was, he, but he was like twenty nine. Oh, was he? he was like doing a clueless uh, <laughs> kind of yeah, deal. The whole, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they call it a uh, Dawson Dawson casting. I see, like, uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the idea of like possibly indicating some kind of trauma there um, through the lock of gray hair. Ooh, okay. I'm going to leapfrog that with. Uh, Ferris Bueller is a ghost. <laughs> and okay. Cameron is just best friends with a ghost this whole time. I like that. What if what if uh, Cameron is actually super sick? Because Cameron says to himself, I'm dying. He's not on the phone. And Ferris immediately calls back, you're not dying. There's no way Ferris could have heard that. Um, so Ferris is his... <laughs> his kind of spiritual guide into the afterlife of Ooh. this amazing, great final day. Yeah. All right. I got nothing else. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go to one more segment before we wrap this review up. Um, recast and remake. Basically, if this movie were to be remade today, um, who would be cast and what would be the storyline of the movie? Or if they were to, uh, or who also would you recast? I would if we were to go back in time and just remake this entire movie. I would love again, like I said before, Robert Downey Jr. as Ferris Bueller, Tony Stark's day off. It's just <laughs> perfect. I think um, if we were to go back and do it that way, I I think the Johnny Depp recast would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, then it would have been directed by Tim Burton, so it would have had this a totally different feel to it. <laughs> Yeah. And Sloan would have been like made of stitches and Alan Ruck would have been a, a ghost. No, I I totally yep. see that. But if it were to be made today, um I would probably for uh Ferris Bueller cast current season Luke of Modern Family. <laughs> okay, let me say I watched uh an episode of Modern Family it just kind of like I was watching Hulu and you know how they just autoplay episodes. Mm-hmm. An episode of Mar Family came up and Mitchell was talking to someone 
And I was like, oh, who's that guy? And then he said Luke, and I, and I, I was shocked. I was just like, who? Oh my goodness, who is this person? And I couldn't stop laughing. I'm just like, yeah, no, I get it. No, season one, Luke. Season one, Luke is always the choice. My, you've grown, Annie. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would. Um, I think of it. It feels so ripe for a remake because the movie basically is a vlog movie. Like it feel it feel. It felt a lot like Wayne's World, or I guess mm-hmm. Wayne's World felt a lot like Ferris Bueller since it kind of predates it. But the yeah. whole talking directly to the camera, like giving advice and having like text on the screen, like it feels like a vlog for a lot of the movie and all these other like extraordinary things happening. Uh, and I feel like it would it would be a ton of fun to watch something like this unfold nowadays, like because. I guess, like, skipping school isn't, like, all that new of a concept. It's it's something that's been done before. But just, like, I feel either doing it where it is, like, an inspired remake, but it is, like, someone in college or someone as an, uh, like, as a, like, 30-something adult. Just, like, you know, I'm going to call in sick and, like, do all these things and, like, not get caught. Like, or sick, just call it sick day or a personal day or something like that and it's just like i'm gonna take a personal day and like all these other things are conspiring against them Uh, i think that would be a fun conceptual remake yeah i've i've said for a long time that they should set it up for a sequel uh where Mm -hmm. it's same cast basically but it's ferris bueller's time off and uh he is like he requested time off at work um, because he feels like his family is slipping away from him, basically. And we find out that he, he did end up marrying Sloan and, um, like, they have kids, but he's just been working so much that, like, he's lost sight of who he is. He Basically, he, he looks closer to Cameron than uh, than Ferris. And uh, he, he snaps out of it, basically, and, like, they find Cameron. Cameron's working this horrible job. Um or maybe Cameron's working at the uh, the parking garage from the from the first movie. <laughs> yeah, um, and the other guy's his manager now. Uh, but yeah, basically, it's just like he he takes some unapproved time off from work uh, to connect with his family and show them the the greatest time and greatest vacation that they've ever seen. Alan Ruck, who played Cameron, actually said. Uh, in an interview just for fun i used to think like why don't they wait until matt and i are in our 70s and they do ferris bueller returns and cameron is in a nursing home he doesn't need to be there but he just decided his life is over (laughs) so he committed himself to a nursing home and ferris comes in and breaks him out it's nice they did do that it was called dumb and dumber 2 (laughs) so there it goes you guys if you want if you want the Ferris Bueller sequel that you've been wanting, dub and dubber too. Uh, all right. So uh, now, lastly, we are going to give you all our reasons to recommend. Grayson, why would you recommend Ferris Bueller's Day Off? It's a ton of fun. It's deceptively deep. And it's part of the John Hughes canon, which I highly recommend digging into other John Hughes movies 
uh, from that era, like uh, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Pretty in Peak. Um, did I say Pretty in Peak? Sure did. I did. Pink. Pretty in Pink. Wow, I just found out I can't say the word pink. I really got to <laughs> rethink my life. Uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's a very special time capsule of movies, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off really sits at the heart of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I recommend this movie. It's it's a it's a great summer movie. Like if if you're still in school, um I think that this is like the perfect movie to just start the end of the school year with. Like or yeah, so when school's over, watch this movie. Um cuz it really just captures just that kind of fun and freedom of just having nothing to do but just explore um, your city and just have fun with your friends and it, it it was it's just a blast to watch um it's it's a joy to just see and i i it, it it's a very special kind of movie because i i part of me wishes that there were more movies like this but i i'm glad that this movie is the way it is and i think that's what makes it ferris bueller uh it's a fun movie and cannot recommend watching it enough. So, I won't. <laughs> and that about does it for our review of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Let us know what you thought of the movie on Twitter or on SoundCloud now that we have uh, that uh, capability. Uh, you can also let us know what you thought of our review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else RSS feeds go for their day offs. And be sure to tune in next time where we are making waves and sleeping with the fishes with Shark Tale. That's right. We were going Woo. to be reviewing Shark Tale. Woo, do, do, do. <laughs> Every day I am making <laughs> Shark Tales. Shark Tale. Woo. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is going to be our first. And I'm super excited about this. Our very first uh, Will Smith movie. Is that true? Will absolutely it's our first one oh, right yeah, oh yeah because we haven't done wild wild westman and blacker after earth <laughs> yeah yeah so this is gonna be our first will smith movie which i cannot be more excited for uh so be sure to tune in next time right here on the flashback flicks retro movie podcast until next time remember to be kind and rewind Good. We're on the same page. <laughs>